Sunsuk, Chapter 20, read by Sunkit and Shash from the Dwelves of Gothlorien. Meet Adwerodam, Imris, royal concubine of Oin. The daughter of a mason and a tinsmith, Imris was an extraordinary beauty. Her hair was a rare and pure silver, often compared to mithril, and her eyes were so light a brown they appeared gold. Little is known about her early life, other than her beauty and her great skills as an axe dancer. These two assets she used to her advantage, and inveigled her way into the court by way of her dancing. There, she caught the eye of the married crown prince, soon to be King Oin I. Maurice was witty, beautiful, and accomplished beyond measure, and he instantly fell in love. However, Maurice would not be persuaded to act as mistress to a married duero. Oin pined for Imris for nearly five decades, during which he showered her with extravagant gifts, which she mostly returned, publicly. It became a famous scandal, and all three of the main players were miserable. Finally, Oin's wife, Grenny, an Iron Fist noblewoman, took pity on the pair and left for her homeland. It created quite an outcry when Oin finally declared that he had found his one and bound himself to her before the eyes of his court. The Council of the Grey Mountains ruled that even so, Oin and Imris could not wed, as he was still legally bound to Grenny. Imris was pregnant at that time, and eventually gave birth to a daughter, Oris. Imris became commonly known as the King's Concubine, a title she abhorred. She became something of a recluse and never ventured beyond her rooms, a sad fate for such a vivacious and witty Duerodam. By the time of her death, many were surprised to know that she had still been alive. Oin's son by Grenny, Nain, inherited the throne, and Imris's daughter Oris escaped into obscurity following her parents' deaths. However, she was the progenitor of the line of Ri, the last of which were the three brothers, Dori, Nori, and Ori. The world was fair, the mountains tall, in elder days before the fall of mighty kings in Argothrond and Meeting, Thorn growled, grabbing the tunic of the next passing Duero he saw and dragging him to his eye level. Now! It was Lonnie he dimly saw through his rage. The tall Duero gulped. Um, yes, Thorn. I'll just go get everyone, shall I? Thorn let him go and stalked through the halls like an avenging specter, his face thunderous. He could hear footsteps skittering to catch up with him, but he outpaced them. He headed directly for his forge, his heart in flames. Upon entering, he leaned against his workbench for a moment, his breath coming hard through his nose. Boromir was dead. Boromir had died, 
and the evil of the temptation of the ring had finally worn down his nobility, and he had attacked the hobbit. He had regained himself, and then he had died. Mary and Pippin were captured. Frodo and Sam were going to Mordor alone. Gimli stood with the elf and Aragorn, Aragorn, who had finally taken up his true mantle. Time would tell whether he kept his word to his dead companion, Boromir. Freren had said it was not his fault. He was ill. He should not have died, Thorin growled, and he pushed the heels of his hands against his eyes and tried to strangle the shout of fury that was building in the pit of his belly. His darting eyes fell on his hammer, and he took it up and threw it against the wall. There. That was better. Mahal, but that had made a mess. A huge hole now stood in the wall of his workshop, and Thorin stood and stared at it for a moment, panting and incandescent with rage. The elf's face had been confused and so grief-stricken. Did elves feel grief as mortals did? Or was it even deeper and sharper, ever fresh and raw, as their memories never faded? The elf had said they fled Middle-earth when it overwhelmed them at last. Thorin could well believe it now. Othlorien was a land filled with glory and sorrow. Did they ever move on from that bittersweet, lingering sadness? He had handed Gimli his knife. He showed respect for the traditions of their people. Elves do not alter themselves or their ways for the sake of dwarves, he snarled to himself, and sat down upon his chair with his head in his hands. His eyes stung. He could not say how long he had been sitting there, his head a whirl and his heart aflame, when a cleared throat made him look up. I keep finding you like this, Killy said in a muted voice. I heard. Are you all right? Thorin breathed in sharply through his nose again, and stood. No, I'm not all right but I have little time to indulge myself. Kili's eyebrows shot up to his hairline. Wow, Mahal was right. You really are changing, he said. Then his eyes landed on the hole in the wall, and his mouth quirked in a crooked smile. Or not, as the case may be. Thorin only looked at him, level and hard and full of anger. Killy lifted one shoulder awkwardly. The meeting is called. It's in Thor's forge, as before. Thorin immediately strode from his workshop. Killy rushed to follow, and he fell into step with his uncle as they made their way through the magnificent and yet faded world of the dead. Where did men go when they lost their mortal thread? Thorin shook his head with a growl, willing his morbid thoughts to leave him. The fellowship had broken. He must be strong. Thor's forge was packed once more, and every face turned to him as he entered. 
Voices raised in alarm, demanding and panicked. Freren hovered, his face drawn and pinched. His sadness lingered in his eyes. Thorin's rage froze in his breast, and he immediately went to him and pulled him into an embrace as the shouting and demands for information grew louder. Are you all right? He murmured against Freren's hair. No, Freren mumbled, and then their mother was there. She turned their heads towards her with her soft, sweet-smelling hands and gave them a sad smile. My boys, she said softly. Oh, my boys. Mom, the man Boromir, he... Freren blurted, and she stroked his hair. I know, my bright golden boy. I know, Nori has reported. I have failed, Bilbo, Thorin muttered. Frodo is departing into the wilds, bound for Mordor, alone but for Sam. Gimli was to be my champion. I have failed my one. You have not, she said, and pulled his ear gently in the way she often did. You did not. Thorin, Frodo has made a choice. Remember, what did I say to you about taking on responsibility for the choices of others? That I do not need to take on the burdens that are others to bear, Thorin said, and lowered his head. Her hand settled against his beard, her fingers combing lightly. That no one is strong enough for that. But they should be. By Mahal, I should be. Good, she praised him, her hand ceaseless upon his cheek and the braid by his ear. Well remembered, my steely storm cloud. Thorin let his eyes drift shut. He allowed the sound of the voices all shouting around him to fade into the background, burying them beneath the thundering of his rage. He allowed himself the luxury of a slow inhale, drawing strength for a moment from his brother and mother, from their familiar sense and the feel of their breath and the pulse of blood beneath their skin, warm and alive under his palms. Then he opened his eyes and clenched his jaw, turning upon the crowd of hollering, panicking dueros, he raised his hands. Silence! He bellowed and glared at them all. Really, really don't push it right now, Keely hissed to the crowd. Really? You demand answers? Here they are. Boromir is dead, Thorin said curtly. The fellowship is broken. Every Duero's face drained of color to be filled with horror and dejection. Ah, oh, no. Thor breathed, and he bowed his head. Gobdukima gagan yakulib mahal, Balin murmured, and he put his hand against his chest in remembrance and respect. Was it, did the, the ring? Asked Thrain with dread, and Thorin gave a short nod his heart thundering in his ribs, 
and his rage a near palpable thing. A silence descended upon their gathering, and many heads lowered, eyes squeezing shut. Thrain's gaze dropped to his left hand, his eyes lingering upon his bare fingers, with the remembered pain sparking in their dark depths. Lonnie began to hum the morning song, and beside him, Frar took his hand and joined in. Funden let his head fall into his hands, a muffled curse dropping from his lips. Thror looked as if a single word could shatter him, his face twisted in old guilt and new sorrow. Now what do we do? said Ori in a hushed voice. Balin lifted his head, and his voice was distant. All that work. We only got to have our schedule for one damned watch, moaned Nali. We must adapt, Thorin said, his teeth snapping around the words. We must create two more watches. Frodo and Sam traveled to Mordor alone, and he was able to get no further. Every dwarf was abruptly on their feet, eyes wide and shouting. Oin was stamping his feet against the floor. He was meant to protect him, he said, his beard bristling. Gimli can't protect the hobbit when he isn't even near him. Mordor is no place for a hobbit, said Balin firmly. What in Mahal's name is that Aragorn thinking? Or is he thinking at all? Frodo's decision, Thorin began, only to be interrupted by Nori. No, they're better off without the others. Hobbits are good sneakers. They'll be less likely to be spotted. I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but Gimli isn't exactly inconspicuous, and that damned elf will stand out like a tourmaline amongst gravel. But Marion Pippin, said Freren unhappily, and Keeley started in surprise. Where are they? They are captured, Thorin said. The Uruks of Saruman have them. Gimli and his two companions mean to follow them and take them back. Two more rotations, muttered Ori, and he groaned. All right, everyone sit down, Thor growled. We have work to do. And we have no time, Thorin said tersely. We must make this decision now and quickly. I will remain with Gimli. Grandfather? I stay at Erebor, said Thror, nodding. I remain watching the elves, and Balin stays with the men, said Herrera. But we will need two more teams. I'll take one, said Fili, standing. Thorin's head snapped to his nephew, who was pale and stiff, but proud. Fili, unde. I'll watch Frodo and Sam, he said, lifting his chin. Uncle, I insist. I can do this. His nephews had never had the opportunity for real leadership. Never had Fili learned what it truly meant to be a prince of the House of Durin. There were other dwarves here, dwarf lords and kings and leaders used to command, who could take the watch. 
but Feely deserved a chance to take on the responsibilities of his birth. Thorin let the weight of his eyes settle upon Feely a moment longer, and then nodded slowly. Feely's eyes glowed with the light of challenge, but he said nothing. I'm going with him, said Keely immediately, standing up next to his brother. Oh, like anyone really thought we'd be able to pry you apart, snorted Biffer. Of course you are. It will not be a pleasant detail, Thorin warned them quietly. Remember their destination. Keely swallowed, but Feely nodded resolutely. I'll do it, he said. Frerin ducked his head, an envious look crossing his eyes. Ori muttered a curse under his breath and began to scrawl all over his neat schedule with rapid flicks of his stylus. Thrain tipped his head. The last? Merry and Pippin, Thorin said, with a gusty sigh. His rage was fading slowly, to be replaced by a terrible, aching grief. We may hope that this watch will not be needed for long. Gimli and his companions will catch them. Gimli doesn't have wings on his feet, said Nori dryly. Those big bastards have a good head start on him. We will need someone with speed, Thorin said. A small team. Someone who can keep up with the pace the orcs are setting. Frerin's head whipped up, and he opened his mouth. No, Thorin told him. He glowered, jealousy sparking in his blue eyes. He folded his arms. And why not? I would not send you from my side, Thorin said bluntly. I need you with me, Nadad. Frerin blinked before his face went slack and soft. Um, all right, he mumbled, and then he slumped back in his seat, a dazed and wondering look on his face. Ori tentatively put his stylus in the air. You ought to remember how fast I can be, he said. Frar nudged his husband, and Lonnie pulled a face. And I suppose I'm faster than most, he said reluctantly. Like old times, Ori told Lonnie, and the tall Duero's expression turned dark. Let's hope not. Floy glanced at his comrades from the days of the colony of Khazad-dûm, and he shrugged. I can move when I want to, I guess. Very well, Thorin said. Take turns. Do not wear yourselves out all at once, and report back to the Lady Freese. Like a relay, Ori mumbled, and he scribbled down some more on his now-ruined schedule. I return to Gimli now, Thorin said to their gathering. He then sent his worried parents a look of acknowledgement, though it was tempered with a hard and steely resolve. He would not stay longer than he was required to, so the temptation was strong. Who is by my side? Me, Freyrin said immediately. I am, said Oin. How's your head, by the way? murmured Herrera, and Oin scowled furiously. There were deep black rings beneath his eyes. And me, 
said Nali, standing up. Thorin nodded and turned on his heel to stride from the room, and the clatter of boots behind him told him that his new companions were following. Freren ran up to his side and pressed against him with his shoulder as they walked. Thorin? No, I am not all right, but I will be, he said flatly, answering the unspoken questions before Freren could put voice to them. Yes, I am sorry I cannot allow you to have a watch of your own. Freren frowned. Can you at least tell me why not? Why do you need me with you? You are the only one who has dared to speak of that time, Thorin said, without slowing his pace or turning his head. You are the only one who has spoken of the gold madness to me. In eighty years, none have ever mustered the courage. All these decades, I have thought of my sickness as my own fault. You, though... Thorin smiled grimly as ahead the pearl-encrusted doors of the chamber of Sansukul came into view. You said that my madness was not of my own making. I did not choose to be sick, and nor did Boromir. When my guilt flared once more at the cruelty and familiarity of his fate, it was you, my brother, half my weight and a head shorter than I, you threatened to strike me if I dared think such a thing ever again. I need you by me, Nadadith. When despair and anger threaten to drown my reason, I can still hear your voice. Freren was very quiet for a moment, his head dipping slightly. Then he looked up, and he was smiling tremulously. You're welcome, Thorin. Thorin laid his hand upon his brother's smaller shoulder and left it there for a long, wordless moment of gratitude. Anger and sorrow still buffeted him, but his determination had been reforged. The stars were harsh and unforgiving this time. They stripped Thorin bare and seared his skin and scorched his eyes and sent him spiraling into darkness. He blinked breathing in the rich air of Arda, aching in soul and body. It barely made a difference. Darkness reigned either way. Is it night? wondered Nali. Yes, the smallest hours, Thorin said, narrowing his eyes. There. Three dark shapes were moving through the shadows, and Thorin jerked his head to his companions indicating that they should follow. They followed over the grey and rocky terrain of the highlands of the Emin Mul, where Aragorn crouched down upon the ground, his hand fossicking in the dirt, and his face grim. "'What's he doing?' hissed Oin. "'Can you read the signs?' Gimli asked, as he reached where Aragorn had stopped. The man snorted softly. Gimli, even so inexperienced a woodsman as you could read these signs, this trail is clear to find. No other folk make such a trampling, said Legolas. It seems it is their delight to slash and beat down growing things that are not even in their way. Still, they move with great speed, Aragorn said, 
and stood. Well, let's get after them, Gimli said. Dwarves, too, can go swiftly, and they do not tire sooner than orcs. Still, they have quite a start on us. Yes, we will need all the endurance of dwarves, said Aragorn, looking out over the rocky crevasses. We must make this such a chase as shall be counted a marvel among the three kindreds, elves, dwarves, and men alike. Forth the three hunters. Gimli bared his teeth in savage agreement, and Legolas sprang forward to take the lead. He took the barely visible trail that snaked between the ridges, following the gullies and ravines with sure-footed fleetness. Aragorn ran behind him, his head darting this way and that, searching for signs of the Uruk's passing. Gimli charged behind them grimly, as though he could continue to run through solid rock. Running, Oin puffed. This is going to get wearisome very fast. We can stop at any time, and we are not wearing full armor, Freren pointed out. Think how Gimli feels. He can run in full armor, Nelly grunted as he pounded along. I made sure of that when I trained him. Save your breath, Thorin commanded. Aye, that was the key to it. The night passed slowly, and several times Aragorn stopped them to read some sign or another. Occasionally, he brought Gimli beside him to use his dwarven night vision. Slowly, the sky changed from the deep velvet black of night to the steely, thready light before dawn, and Aragorn called a halt once more. We will rest briefly, he said, and Gimli threw himself down and groaned. Even Legolas sagged in relief. This dale runs down into the lands of the Horse Lords. Which way will the orcs turn, do you think? Legolas asked. Northwards is the straighter road to Isengard. They will not make for the river, Aragorn said after a moment, his eyes gazing over the sweep of grassy rolling hills in the near distance all stained purple and blue by the cool, amorphous light. They will avoid the Entwash if they can. Unless Rohan is now under the heel of Saruman, they will seek to spend as little time here as possible. Northwards is the shortest way. North it is, Gimli said, and pulled off his helmet to rub at his sweaty brow. Thank Mahal for small mercies. At least we will not be running towards the sunrise. I expect that would do no favors for your night vision, Melonin, smiled Legolas, before he sat down across from Gimli and raised his eyes to the fading stars. Aragorn only allowed them an hour, and then they were on the move again. As they passed from the stony crags of the foothills of Emin Mule, Legolas cried aloud, See this? Here are some of those we hunt. Five bodies, etched in grey by the pale dawn, lay propped against a crag. Orcs! Gimli exclaimed, and he hefted his axe upon his back, and picked up his pace to catch up with his faster companions. Aragorn came close and peered at the fallen corpses, rent with wounds and torn asunder 
frowning. That is no Uruk High, he said slowly. That orc bears the great eye, not the white hand. This is a northern orc. Hark! Gimli spat, and he made a sign so filthy in English mick that Owen gasped in scandalized shock. Foul things! They ever plague the northernmost surrounds of Erebor with their filth. Gimli! Oin wheezed, horrified. I taught him that one, too, Nelly murmured. Freren muffled a snicker. I think the enemy brought his own enemy with him, Aragorn said. He lifted his head and shaded his eyes, peering into the bright dawn light for any sign of the orc party. There must have been some quarrel. It is no uncommon thing, these foul folk. Back to the hunt, said Legolas. Thorin pressed ahead, trying to keep up with the three hunters, but only Freren was swift enough to keep pace with the light-footed elf and the long-legged man. Gimli trailed behind, though he never faltered. As Thorin had seen before, Gimli's legs moved rhythmically and without pause, his heavy boots eating away with steady strides at the ground. He was not swift, but it seemed that he would never stop. I'm not good for this, Oin groaned, putting a hand at his side. I expect you regret all those ales now, eh? Freren shouted back from his place at the lead, and Thorin's lips turned up the slightest amount, though he could spare no other effort. Oin didn't reply with words, but he did growl quite loudly. Do you see that? Aragorn called, his hand gesturing to the south. A great range of mountains lay blushing rose in the morning light, their peaks capped with snow. The White Mountains! There lies Gondor. Would that I looked on it in a happier hour. So, there is Boromir's beloved home, said Gimli, his mouth curling into a bitter line. He was so close. Lost Ove, Boromir, Legolas murmured, and he closed his eyes and his proud neck arched as he turned his face away. Gondor, Gondor, not yet does my road lie southward to your bright streams, Aragorn said to the crisp morning air, his lips tight and angry. His hand curled around the vambrace bound upon the opposite arm. Then he drew his eyes away from the south, and back to the northwest, where his way led. Thorin, said Freren softly, and he turned to his brother as the elf, man, and dwarf sped on through the foothills of Emin Mule down to the green swab that was Rohan. We can do no good here. Gimli will run, whether we run beside him or not. Glancing at the wheezing Oin and the red-faced Nali, Thorin gritted his teeth. I will return as soon as permitted. No one will stop you, said Nali wearily, wiping at his face. I'm volunteering to watch elves next time. Oin made a pitiful little noise of agreement. Come on. Freren said, and he took Thorin's arm. Thorin closed his eyes.
Thorin slept, but did not stay abed long. Six hours after he had left Gimli, he was awake once more and plunging back into the waters of Gimli and Zaram. He swam into the light, searching for his star and Rohan. When he emerged, shaking and blinking, it was well into the day. Beside him, his father squinted up at the sun, half hidden behind the clouds. Thorin gazed about him in surprise. The grey rock of Emin Mule had been left some distance behind, and a rich rolling country surrounded him, swelling and falling like a great green sea of grass. How long have they run? Thrain asked. This is the second day, and they have rested only briefly, Thorin answered absently. Where? There. Legolas, Aragorn called from behind the elf. What do your elf eyes see? The elf was standing high upon a treeless rise, his unsettling elven eyes piercing the sullen sky. A great company on foot, he called, but what kind of folk they are, I cannot say. They turn northeast. If it is the Uruks, they are taking the hobbits to Isengard, as we thought. I can see nothing but miles and miles of bloody Rohan, Gimli said, shaking his head. In the light, Legolas, you do indeed have eyes. Legolas smiled down at him, quick and bright. The day grows older, Aragorn said. We have found a sign, the elven brooch, and we know our pursuit is not in vain. Still, we should not waste the sun while we have it. Gimli sighed, and gestured with one thick-fingered hand. Lead on, lad. My legs would be more willing if my heart were not so heavy. We gain on them, Legolas said staunchly. Gwam. Light feet may run swiftly here, Aragorn said. More swiftly than iron-shod orcs. Gimli looked down at his heavy, steel-bound boots, and then gave Aragorn a sardonic look that spoke volumes. Legolas covered his smile with a hand. Come, let us go on, Aragorn said, and he led them in single file, running like hounds on a strong scent. The man's long legs ate up the miles, and Thorin thought again that it was no wonder the folk of the north called him Strider. The elf seemed barely to touch the ground, as lithe as a deer, his feet passing fleet and soundless through the grass. Behind them came Gimli, as inexorable as the tides, his thick legs moving like pistons. Thorin ran on after them, the heavy footfalls of his father following. A sign? Thrain managed to say. He mentioned an elven brooch, Thorin answered, his brow furrowed and his gaze fixed upon the north. The cloaks from Lothlorien are clasped with them. One of the hobbits must have slipped it away, a clue for their pursuers to find. Let us hope he did not pay too dearly for his boldness. On and on and on they ran. 
and Thorin shook the stinging sweat from his eyes and willed his legs to keep moving. The sun slipped through the sky, and still they raced over the fields as though all the wargs of Mordor rode at their heels. His father had to cease after five hours, his beard matted and his legs trembling. Gimli was beginning to look rather grey-faced, and his steps were growing heavier. Strength in Doi, Thorin said, his chest burning. Gimli's smile was very strained. It means Abadal Belgul, just enjoying a brisk jog in the sunshine, he croaked, never pausing in his stride. Ha! Thorin looked up at the setting sun, passing behind the distant shapes of the misty mountains far to the west. The light will fail in a matter of hours, my star. Do you run through another night? Torrent's beard, I hope not, Gimli grunted, and then he grimaced. But the thought of those young merry folk captured by those... those... Yes, I saw, Thorin said, and he fell silent as again his rage flared in his breast. Then you saw the fall of Boromir, Gimli said, and he lowered his head and hunched his shoulders like a bull as he ran on, his feet thudding unceasingly upon the soft grass. Would that I had been there sooner. We have had an evil luck upon us these last few days. You could not have known, Thorin said, and he wiped at his brow once more. Now, save your breath. These tall folk might outpace you, but you are a dwarf and will outlast them. Doubt it, Gimli said. I may go on long after Aragorn falters, but that elf is the most tireless fellow I ever met. He barely needs sleep at all. Thorin scowled and bent his head anew to the chase. Frar, Groin, and Freren flickered into sight as the sun set, yawning. Should have woken me, Freren grumbled, falling into step. Thorin had no breath with which to answer, following Gimli's broad back through the failing light. Aragorn held up his hand as they crested another rise, the pink clouds deepening to purple as the sun finally sought its bed. He licked his dry and cracking lips to speak. Now we come to a hard choice, he said, once he had found his breath. Do we go on while our will and strength hold, or do we rest through the night? I can see no sign of the host from before, Legolas said, though in this light, perhaps Gimli is the better one to ask. Can I see that distance, light or dark, Gimli said and shook his head. Still, surely even the orcs must pause on the march? Seldom do orcs journey under the sun, and yet these have done so, Legolas pointed out. Night is their preferred time. They will not stop. But we will miss any sign of the trail, Aragorn said, sighing. We would not have found the brooch in the dark. Aye, and we will miss it if any tracks lead away, Gimli sighed, and rubbed his aching legs. Even I, 
A dwarf of many journeys, and not the least hardy of my folk, cannot run all the way to Isengard without any pause. My heart burns me, too, and I would have started sooner. But now, should we not rest a while to run the better? I said it was a hard choice, Aragorn said, pushing back his stringy hair made limp with sweat. You are our guide, Gimli said, and you are skilled in the chase. You shall choose. My heart bids me go on, said Legolas, but we must hold together. I will follow your counsel. You give the choice to an ill chooser, said Aragorn heavily. Since we passed through Argonath, all my decisions have gone amiss. He fell silent and turned his eyes northwards again, as though the strength of his will could part the gathering dark. The moon is shrouded tonight, and it is young and pale, he finally said. It is most likely we would miss the trail or any sign of coming or going. We will take our rest, and may I not regret it, as I have all my other choices of late. Thorin's brows drew together, and he looked up at Aragorn with some surprise and concern. It seems you are also in need of the advice my mother gave me, he said to the man's careworn face. You could not have known, Aragorn. You have no fault in any choice of Frodo's nor in your movements since Boromir's death. Do not do as I do. Do not be a bearer of heavy burdens. No, instead be the beacon of hope. Be their king. Freren gave a half-gasp, half-choke, and turned to him with wide and dumbfounded eyes. Nadad! Thorin sent him a sidelong glance. Yes? Freren only gaped at him, his mouth hanging open. You! You! Thorin lowered his head, and a faint, rueful smile crossed his lips. I have learned my lessons well. Not quickly, but well. What that the lady gave us a light, such as she gave Frodo, Gimli murmured. We could keep going. Oh, poor wee hobbits. Moku maha makuz maruku. Legolas looked fascinated by the use of Kuzdul again, and Groin let his head drop into his hands and groaned loudly. Damn you, grandson, he muttered into his palms. No discretion at all. The lady gives no gift where it is not needed, Aragorn said. With him lies the real quest, and ours is but a small matter in the great deeds of this time. A vain pursuit from its beginning, maybe. Far too grim, Thorin grunted. Give them heart, do not take it away. Gimli's mouth twitched beneath his handsome mustache. Well, if we are to rest, let us begin that straight away. I am not ashamed to admit I could do with it. Aragorn sighed and nodded. Then he cast himself upon the ground and fell at once into sleep, for he had not rested once since the night before their camp at Parthgallon. Gimli groaned as he stretched out his legs, 
and he rubbed at his calves with his massive fingers. I will warp like steel that is heated unevenly, he muttered. You will not, Legla said, his steps as quick and light as ever as he came to crouch down before the dwarf. You have surprised me yet again, Master Gimli. I never thought a dwarf could run so far or so fast. Far, I'll grant you, Gimli said dryly. Fast is not one of my better-known traits, however. He's a sight faster than I am, said Frar, pressing a hand against his chest. And I, said Thorin. Groin only whimpered. I'm faster than him, Freyrin said proudly. I, that you are, Thorin said, and he cuffed his brother's ear affectionately. But only because he is twice as broad as you. Freyrin scowled, and then he sighed gloomily. Well, that's nothing new. Legolas, said Gimli suddenly, pausing in his massage of his tense muscles. Thank you for giving me your knife. You know, when I... There is no need for thanks, Legolas said gently. I would still offer them, Gimli insisted, and the elf smiled. Well, who am I to refuse them? Gimli chuckled tiredly. Indeed, you should feel rather fortunate. That a dwarf of the line of Durin offers thanks to an elf of Mirkwood for his acceptance of our mourning rituals? That is no common happenstance. I expect not, Legolas said, and a new and wary note had entered his voice. He sat down on the grass beside Gimli and tipped back his head to peer up at the clouded stars. And are you alone at this time? No, Gimli said, and he grinned. There's a man sleeping over there, and a bothersome elf beside me who asks impertinent questions and never lets a poor dwarf have a moment's peace. Hack! For at the last, Legolas snorted and poked Gimli's leg. The dwarf's thick, dense muscles were too painful to stand it and he let out a strangled yelp. You bloody swine, Gimli growled, and then he flopped back onto the grass. I am too tired for revenge. Know that it will be swift and merciless. I tremble in fear, Legla smiled. Are you alone, then, in truth? Do your kin follow our chase? Aye, they do. Gimli yawned hugely. I am beginning to feel the difference. Always there is my kinsman, the great Thorin Oakenshield. He is the one whose voice I hear in my heart, if not in my ears. Then there is a younger presence that I do not know. And then two more. One or more is family. I know that much. But from which branch I cannot say. Receptive indeed, Inodoy. Thorin said, stunned. He knows I am here, breathed Groin. But he was so young when I died, barely past forty. He knows we're all here, said Frar, 
and his deep, calm voice shook. I must tell Lonnie. Even me, Freren squawked. How? Mahal only knows, Thorin said, breathless in awe and gratitude. Did you know him in life? Legolas said tentatively, and Gimli hummed a little. I and no. He was a hero of my people after the Battle of Azanulbazar. He and Dane were the two to turn the tide, Thorin at the field and Dane at the gates. Victory aside, it was a disaster for us nonetheless. Near half my family was killed that day, long before I was born. Gimli rubbed at his ear, thinking. He saved us. He brought us to Arid Luin. He gave us back Erebor. He gave us the chance to have our home and our pride again. A hero, as I said. Still, in my young memories, I recall a rather severe, angry Duero with sad eyes and a deep voice. He was generally busy, and so when I tore about after his nephews, I rarely ever saw him. He gave me my first axe, however. He smiled. I still have it. It will go to my nephew one day. Legolas was looking worried. Oh, stop giving me that face, lad. Gimli yawned again. Hero of my people or not, you are now my friend. He is my kinsman, and he was my king, but he is not the author of my decisions. No dwarf will lightly let another rule his fate. I imagine it is useless to try, Legolas said, relaxing. You have no idea, Thorin muttered. Distaste welled in him as he found himself agreeing with an elf. Legolas was beginning to confuse him. He showed such respect now. The two still stumbled, but it was never for long. Their initially tentative truce was developing into a deep and true friendship. Thorin had seen another side to this elf, and he distrusted his own conclusions. I am watching him, Gimli, he growled suddenly. Tell him. I remember his arrow and the dungeon and the sneer in his voice. I am watching him closely. Gimli lifted his head from the grass. I will say no such thing, he said indignantly. Freren muffled a laugh with his arm, and Groin shook his head. Perhaps not the most diplomatic of moves, he murmured. A pox on diplomacy. I want this elf to know. I am watching. If he harms Gimli or abuses his trust... I will know. He glared at Legolas, and ignored the little nagging feeling at the back of his mind that told him he was acting the fool. Legolas would not do that, Gimli said, and he rolled his eyes. Then he turned to the elf and said in a conversational tone, He is a little irate. He still does not trust you. Legolas's eyes grew remorseful, glittering in the darkness. 
You were not there, my friend, he said. He has cause. Thorin paused, and the words that crowded upon his tongue remained unsaid in his sudden surprise. Groin looked impressed. Well, he said. Well. The past is a dangerous place to visit, Gimli said indistinctly, his deep voice thick with sleep. Still, at least when you are remembering the past, there is no blasted running. Legolas laughed softly beneath his breath. You complain, but you keep on. Would that we were all doughty dwarves, that we could run all night and day with mountains upon our back. Now you're just mocking me, Gimli said, and yawned. I ache all over. A mountain on my back might put me out of my misery. Legolas, my thoughts will not stop dwelling on the poor wee hobbits. Take my mind away from their plight and my poor legs. Tell me of your family. Legolas was silent a while, and then he said stiffly, Did you not just say that the past was a perilous place to visit? Mahal's bloody hammer, elf, I don't mean that. Not everything in this world must come to the wrongs we have done to each other. I mean, do you have any siblings? Your mother, what is she like? What is there that whiles away the endless centuries stuck with each other for company? Do they resemble you, or are they good-looking? Legolas jerked back in offended indignation, his cheeks mottling. Then he blinked and laughed softly. Is that your revenge? Let it be a lesson to you, Gimli said peacefully, his dark eyes sliding shut. Kazadaimenu. Legolas leaned back upon his elbows, sinuous as a cat. I have two elder brothers, he said, tipping his head in that bird-like elven fashion and letting his eyes rove across the shadowy sea of grass below. The eldest is Lindawar. He is very private and very proud, very like our father. He seldom leaves Erin Laskelen, as he dislikes the world beyond our halls and the eaves of our forest. Even elves of other kindreds infuriate him at times. Sounds a pleasant fellow. He has the silver hair of my father's people, and blue eyes. He resents the airs that the others of the Eldar give themselves, and the way they look down upon the Sindar people. We had no elven ring, true, but in ancient days one of our queens was a Maya, and we achieved long peace and great wisdom without ever seeing the light of Amman. Our history may be one that tells of suffering more than heroism, but it is no less noble than that of the Noldor or Vanyar. We are of the Eldar, not the Avari. They are not greater than us. He should speak to a dwarf. I could give him an hours-long dissertation on why that attitude sets our teeth on edge. Legolas shook his head, his lips quirking. I doubt that is ever likely to occur. As I said, he rarely leaves our caves and trees. 
he would not suffer to be parted from our people for long, and especially not to hold discourse with a dwarf, even one as splendid as Gimli son of Gloin. The old lies still hold him in their grip, my friend, and he has listened to them far longer than I have. Gimli wrinkled his nose. Well, it is his loss, then. And I shall tell him so, Legolas said, chuckling. My second brother, Lyrafen, is more cosmopolitan. You will not be surprised to hear that he has pale hair and blue eyes. I am absolutely flabbergasted, lad. Legolas smiled into the darkness. He is a great scholar, and has pored over the works of many different races. He is usually the one my father sends upon any diplomatic excursion. It was a great surprise to me that I was given leave to go to Rivendell. Glad it was you, Gimli said sleepily. As am I. Legolas's eyes dropped his feet for a moment, and then he resumed. Lyrafen is well-read, but he is not accepting. He is convinced that the accounts of other nations and races only serve to highlight the superiority of elves, our languages, our runes, our ways. The Sindar invented the Kurth runes used by the dwarves, Sindarin is now the language spoken by near all the elves in Middle-earth, and many other races besides. He generally regards other peoples as primitive and benefiting from civilized elven contact. You are not exactly giving me their good points here, Legolas. I suppose I am not, and so the picture is not whole, Legolas said thoughtfully. They are both proud elves, but they are kind. Lyrafen is very clever, and Lindawar is a good listener. Lyrafen's wit is sharp, and he can be very amusing. Lindawar cares for our people with all his heart, and would do anything for them. For all their faults, they are my brothers, and I love them. They were gentle with the foolish young elf, who cared for little other than his bow and his home. You speak as though they are far older than you. Yes. They were both full-grown when I was born. How old are you then, Legolas? No, wait. Don't tell me. Gimli rubbed at his eyes, and rolled over onto his side to give the elf an amused look. Let me guess. A million years? Two million? Legolas burst out laughing and then he muffled the sound with a quick glance at the sleeping form of Aragorn. A little less than that, he said. You look well for your age, then. Perhaps it should be you who calls me lad, Gimli said. Ah, but I would miss it if you stopped now, said Legolas. Now, what else? My mother's name was Aelir. I do not remember her well except her long golden hair. Oh, I'm sorry, Gimli said, his face falling. She is dead, then? Dead? No, Legolas said. She took the ship to Eldamar long ago. I do not recall why. My father will not speak of it, and nor will Lendoar, 
Lyrophen once told me that the slow sickness creeping over the Greenwood caused her such sorrow that she could no longer be content in Arda. My father misses her dearly, but he will not leave his kingdom and his people to the mercies of the spiders and the evil in the southern reaches of our forests. That's a hard rock to hew. I'm sorry, Legolas. It is the way of things, Legolas shrugged. Have I satisfied that insatiable curiosity? Do you sleep now? Aye, I will sleep, and be glad of it, Gimli said, and he put a hand to his back and arched until it clicked audibly. Thank you for the distraction and the tales. Ah, but my eyes are heavy. It disturbs me that you must sleep with your eyes shut, Legolas said shaking his head. It is so unnatural. If it were not for your snoring, I would think you dead. Hush your lying mouth. I do not snore. Thorin strangled the laugh in his throat. I will keep watch, Legolas said, and he put a hand upon Gimli's shoulder. I do not tire in the same manner as mortals do. Wish I didn't. Gimli mumbled, and then he squinted up at the elf. Good night, Legolas. Good night, Melanin. Elevelui. Gimli pulled his elven cloak close around himself, and then he wriggled slightly until he had found a comfortable position. Between one breath and the next, he fell into a deep slumber. The deep, slow sound of his snore began to rumble through the ground. Legolas straightened, standing pale and tall in the moonlight. He glanced down at Gimli, and then he lifted his head and addressed the air. You do not trust me, Thorin, son of Thrain, he said clearly to the chill night, his breath steaming before him. I learn more and more of you now, and I understand why. You do not trust easily. Nor do we. But for the sake of he who is our friend, I will try. Gimli will never be harmed by my hand, deed, or word. This I swear. Thorin clenched his teeth, knowing the elf could not hear his answer. I will wait to see if your word proves true, he grated. Legolas looked up at the sliver of moon. We will no doubt be moving again before dawn, he said reflectively. He would welcome your company again. He is worried for the little ones. Frar narrowed his eyes. For an elf, he's bloody considerate. Thorin didn't quite know what to believe. The elf had respected their traditions and in a manner that gave them equal footing to his own. The elf was careful to acknowledge the historic imbalance between them, but did not let it affect their burgeoning friendship. And yet, this was still Thranduilo's son, still the elf who had sighted down his arrow at Thorin, lost and hungry, and had threatened his life with cold nonchalance. He chewed upon his lip for a few moments, 
but his thoughts were sluggish with exhaustion. He let out a great breath of frustration, and decided to set it aside until the morning. He looked back at his companions. We will depart and return. Freren crossed his arms, and gave Thorin a considering look. You trust him? No, Thorin snarled, and then he grimaced. I do not know, Nadad. Well, I think Gimli has the right idea, said Groin. I need to sleep. My legs won't carry me any further. Freese pulled Thorin aside after he had reported the few events of his watches. How many times could a Duero say the word run? Thorin, Ori has been through, but not Fili and Kili, she said. Merry and Pippin are being carried by the orcs to Isengard, as you suspected. It seems the White Wizard has commanded that the halflings be taken to him alive and unspoiled. He thinks they have the ring. Merry and Pippin? Thorin muttered under his breath. This is ill news. Then they are alive? Are they hurt? Mary is wounded, but he will recover, she said, her eyes serious as they bored into his. Pippin is well enough. Floy thinks he has managed to slip his bonds without the orcs noticing. It was he who cast the brooch away. Thorin's eyebrows lifted. Clever. Pippin surprises me. Fries smiled crookedly. He is a took, like your beloved. Thorin's chin lowered. That he is. Tooks exist to surprise me, it seems. Fries's hand smoothed over his brow, and she pressed her head against his briefly. Sleep, Inudoi. Rise again tomorrow. Thorin heaved a soundless sigh and dragged his weary feet back to his chamber. He didn't bother getting undressed, or even with removing his boots, but immediately collapsed onto his pallet and dropped into slumber between one thought and the next. He rose before the dawn and woke his brother. Nori was with them, and Fundin. Thorin found himself envying his young brother, who moved easily and without the stiffness that he carried. I ache all over, and I cannot believe that you do not, he muttered. Freren gave him an arch look. Get Melun, Thorin. He snorted. Mind your manners then, youngster. Not sure how much use'll be with all the running, confessed Fundin, pulling at his beard. Not exactly my forte. I'll have to tell Groin he won your wager then, said Nori slyly. Fundin straightened abruptly. You'll do no such thing. I'll beat that old scoundrel. You wait and see. Five hours, wasn't it? Seven, Thorn corrected absently. Fundin winced. Nori whistled. I don't know how Gimli's doing this. Seven hours straight. All wept. No, that is how long Groin ran, Freren said. Gimli ran all night and day. I feel ill, Funden mumbled. 
You need the exercise, your lordship, Nori said, and grinned. Lead on, my king. Once more, the dawn spilled upon Arda. Legolas was standing, gazing northwards. A red sun rises, he said, as Aragorn came up to stand beside him. Blood has been shed this night. Can you see them? Aragorn said in a hushed voice. Behind them, Gimli still slumbered, his huge arms thrown wide and his head lolling to the side. They are far, far away, Legolas said, shaking his head. Only an eagle could overtake them now. Nonetheless, we still follow as we may, Aragorn said, and he stooped to rouse the dwarf. Up you get, Gimli. We must go. The scent is growing cold. It is still dark, Gimli grumbled, but he sat up and rubbed the sleep from his eyes. Ah, perhaps not. The sun rises again, and our chase awaits. Can you see them, Legolas? Aragorn has asked, Legolas answered sadly. I fear they have passed beyond my sight. Where sight fails, the earth may bring us rumor, Aragorn said, and he stretched himself out upon the ground and pressed his ear to it. The land itself must groan beneath their hated feet. Gimli stretched, and then he pulled an extraordinary face. I am knotted up like twine, but give me a moment to slap my legs into submission and then we will discover what a dwarf's ears may hear from the stone. Secrets again, Fundin said, and rolled his eyes to the sky. Yet neither Aragorn nor Gimli could make sense of the rumor of the earth, and so they steeled their heavy hearts and resumed their desperate pursuit. Three days, Freyrin said, as they ran on after the three hunters. Three whole days! It is a feat worthy of a song or two, Thorin managed, willing his feet to keep moving. Gimli brightened. Ah, you are back! Good. The hours pass faster with such company. What was that, Gimli? Aragorn panted, without turning around. Nothing. He was but making an idle observation to me said Legolas hurriedly, giving Gimli a sharp look. The dwarf smiled gratefully. I was but thinking that this land reminds me of the Shire. I passed through it when I was young, and it was green and rolling too, though not nearly so wild. Aragorn's eyes warmed. Yes, the Shire is a green and pleasant land, as is Rohan but the hobbits prefer their tidy farms and their little woods. The Rohirrim are horse lords, and they give their hearts to their wide plains and moors, proud and rugged and untamed. I would give much to see trees again, Legolas said, swift and straight as a spear as he ran. Still, the green smell that rises from the grass is better than much sleep. Still no sign of the Uruks? asked Aragorn, as he led them down into a shallow dell. They run as if the very whips of Sauron were behind them, 
the elf said. I cannot see them. Well, let us keep on, Gimli said, and then he murmured, Thank you, laddie. You are welcome, Legolas said softly, and they ran side by side for a while, heavy boots and soft shoes striking the earth together. The sun beat down on them, and Thorin could feel the long hours sapping his strength. Even Freren, young and fleet as he was, was beginning to tire. Look there, Aragorn suddenly cried, pointing to a dark shape at the foothills of the mountains. There is Fangorn, some ten leagues away. The orc trail turns from the downs to the Antwash. Legolas came to stand beside him as Gimli arrived, puffing behind them. The elf shaded his eyes with his long-fingered hand, and then he said, Riders, they come back along the trail towards us. How many? Gimli said, pressing his hand against his forehead. One hundred and five, Legolas said, his eyes narrowing. Yellow is their hair, and their leader is very tall. Aragorn smiled. Keen are the eyes of elves. Nay, they are little more than five leagues distant. Shall we go on, or wait here? Gimli said, peering up at them. You cannot escape them in this bare land. Aragorn slumped, his great weariness apparent. We will wait. They come back along the orc trail. Perhaps we may get news from them. Or spears, Gimli grunted. The three rested against the jagged stones that thrust out of the ground, stepping away from the top of the hill that they might not present an easy mark for an arrow against the sky. The thunder of horses' hooves grew louder, and finally the host of riders drew close. They were fair and yellow-bearded, with long spears and fierce helmets crested with horse hair. Their horses were of great stature, strong and clean-limbed, their coats shining in the afternoon light. Riders of Rohan, Aragorn cried, stepping out from their place amongst the stones. What news from the mark? In a dazzling display of horsemanship, Every rider turned and encircled the three. Thorin bristled as their horses crowded close, effectively cutting off any route of escape. Their long, straight spears were abruptly lowered to ring the companions in shining steel. The rider who pressed to the front was taller than the others, and his helm was surmounted by a fierce nose guard shaped like a horse's head. His face was grim and stern. What business does an elf, a man, and a dwarf have in the Rittermark? he grated. Speak quickly. Thorin glared at him. Gimli planted his axe before his feet and squared his broad shoulders. Give me your name, Horsemaster, and I shall give you mine, he said. The rider dismounted, and he stalked to tower over the dwarf using his height to try and intimidate him. Thorn scowled. Tall folk always tried that. They never seemed to realize that an axe stroke at the knees brought everyone to the same level. I would cut off your head, dwarf, 
if it stood but a little higher from the ground, the man sneered. Legolas's hands moved faster than thought. He stands not alone, he said in a cold voice. You would die before your stroke fell. Thorin's hand shot out, and he gripped Freren's arm as his tired legs tremble. Did I just hear, he said, amazed and dumbfounded. His tongue felt thick and numb within his mouth. The elf defends Gimli, Funden whispered. Legolas would die the minute the arrow left his hands, Nori said, disbelieving. Why in Durin's name would he do that? Thorin, you're hurting me, Freren said, prying at Thorin's hand. He consciously relaxed his grip, but he did not remove it. His brother's arm was the only thing keeping him grounded and not spiraling into utter shock. He defends Gimli, he said. He defends Gimli. I do not know the world anymore. I do not know what is real. Aragorn stepped forward and carefully gestured for Legolas to lower his bow. He inclined his head to the tall rider. I am Aragorn, son of Arathorn, he said, and through his stupor, Thorin was able to muster a flicker of approval at the man choosing to use his name and not an alias. This is Gimli, son of Gloin, and Legolas of the Woodland Realm. We are friends of Rohan and of Theoden, your king. The rider looked unhappy and angry for a moment, before the expression was quickly hidden. Theoden no longer recognizes friend from foe, not even his own kin. I am Aelmer, son of Aelmond, of the House of Eor, he said, and removed his helm. A strong-featured face with a wide brow, dark eyes, and yellow hair was revealed. Thorin glowered, instantly taking a dislike to him. Horse lord or no... This man had threatened his star. Whence have you come? said Aylmer, still regarding them with some suspicion. I thought you orcs at first, though your cloaks keep you strangely hidden. Are you elvish folk? Only one of us is an elf, as you can see, Aragorn replied. But we have passed through Lothlorien in our long journey, and the gifts and favor of the lady go with us. The rider's face was filled with a strange wonder, though his eyes hardened. Then there is a lady of the Golden Wood, as old tales tell, he said. Few escape her snares, they say. But if you have her favor, then perhaps you yourselves are net weavers and sorcerers, maybe. His hand tightened about his spear. You speak evil of that which is fair beyond your understanding, and only little wit can excuse you. Gimli growled, his axe leaping into his hand. Gimli, Aragorn said wearily. He only speaks as you yourself have done. I will hear no foul word of the Lady Galadriel, Gimli muttered, and then he glared up at the horse lord. Perhaps later I will find the time to instruct you in the proper way to speak of a gentle lady. 
Am I to learn courtesy at the loving strokes of a dwarf's axe? Aomer said, and snorted. These are strange times, and you are strange folk indeed. You would not survive the lesson, Thorn promised him, glaring at the man. Tell us, what is it that troubles the sons of Aeorl? What shadow lies upon Theoden King? said Aragorn, subtly moving before Gimli and blocking Aramur's view of his scowl. Aramur's mouth was a thin line. Saruman has poisoned the mind of the king and claimed lordship over these lands. My company are those that are loyal to Rohan, and for that we are banished. That's a bit on the rough side, said Nori. The white wizard is cunning, said Aomer, and long-held anger colored his voice. He walks here and there, they say, as an old man, hooded and cloaked, and everywhere his spies slip past our nets. Aragorn was calm as he said, We are not spies. We track a party of Urukai westward across the plain. They have taken two of our friends captive. The Uruks are destroyed. We slaughtered them during the night. Who was on watch? Thorin snapped. I think Ori finished at midnight, said Nori. Dunno who took over. Gimli could apparently contain himself no further, and burst out. But there were two hobbits with them. Did you see two hobbits? They would be small, only children to your eyes. Aragorn explained. Gimli leaned forward, his eyes pleading. Legolas laid a comforting hand upon his shoulder. Eomer shook his head again and said, We left none alive. Turning to the northwest, where the glowering shadow of Fangorn loomed, he pointed out a thin and rising column of smoke. We piled the carcasses and burned them. Gimli's eyes widened, and his breath caught. Dead? he faltered. Aomer pressed his lips together, and then he turned away. I am sorry. You! Thorin snarled, and it was Freren's turn to grip his arm tightly. Nekushel! Dead! No, no! First Gandalf, then Boromir! And now the hobbits, it cannot be. Hold strong, Nadadel, Freren whispered harshly in his ear. They may have escaped. Remember, Pippin may have slipped his bonds. Pippin, Mary, Bilbo's young cousins. More of Bilbo's family that Thorin had failed to protect. He slumped and bowed his head. Aomer whistled, and two fine horses answered, a grey and a chestnut. This is Arod, and this is Hasufel, said the man. May they bear you to better fortune than their former masters. Farewell. Thorin fumed as the man turned and remounted his horse, setting his fierce howl back upon his head. Taking his reins, he said, Look for your friends. But do not trust to hope. It has forsaken these lands. 
urging his horse into a canter and raising his voice. He called, We ride north. With deft and skillful handling, the tight circle of horsemen parted and circled to follow their tall leader. Aragorn watched them go, his eyes forlorn. Gimli removed his helm and pressed it against his chest, his eyes squeezing shut. We have run all this way, he said bitterly. Pippin, Thorin said, and then he licked his dry lips. My star, Pippin may still be alive, at least. There is yet hope. Gimli nodded imperceptibly, before he looked up at the grey horse, his face scrunching in distaste. First boats are now beasties. They will have me attempt to fly next. I don't recommend it, Nori muttered. Eagles are unsociable, to say the least. You do not ride then, Gimli? asked Aragorn as he mounted the chestnut, bringing its head around and stroking the braided mane. No, indeed. Ponies I can handle, but whoever heard of a horse being given to a dwarf? I would sooner walk. But you must ride now, or you will hinder us, said Aragorn. Come, Gimli, you can ride behind me, said Legolas, already astride the grey after a few soft elvish words in its ear. That way you will not need to be troubled by a horse at all. Gimli looked doubtful, but he allowed himself to be pulled up by the hand. There he sat, clinging gingerly to the elf, not much more at ease than Sam Gamgee in a boat. We will not be able to keep the pace, said Thorin, his heart sinking as he watched the man and the elf wheel their horses around to the north, pointing towards the dark, crouching gloom of Vangorn and the distant and ominous smoke. Gimli's great hands clutched immediately at Legolas's waist as the horse turned, and he swore under his breath in Kuzdul. If this great long-legged thing should be my ruin, my lord, he muttered, I wish it to be known that I will everything to my sister, and that my axes should go to Gimmage. Dramatic, Freren sniggered. Ah! Gimli yelped, as Era leapt into a canter at a word from Legolas, and then the two horses were flowing over the great green rolling moors, their tails streaming behind them. Thorin followed them with his eyes for a moment, his ribcage tight around his heart. It will not be long before they reach the pyre. Swift are the horses of Rohan. We have some time said Fundin, frowning. Let us see what news there is of Merry and Pippin, sighed Thorin. Perhaps there will be something of use to tell Gimli. We can but hope, said Freyrin. Yes, hope is all we've got, Nori muttered. Well, my son, are you ready? The dwarf remained silent watching the shining, glowing thing upon his maker's anvil. One more time. Once more, Mahal agreed, and gently touched his face. 
If the world makes it through this darkness, your light will be needed to bring hope once again. The dwarf was motionless for another moment, and then he looked up. His ancient eyes were filled with weariness and pain, but his mouth was set in a determined line. If. Mahal smiled, and its warmth bathed the Duero's face like a beam of sunlight or the glow from a well-fed forge. Every shadow is but a passing thing. Every night must give way to morning. No matter how this ends, you will see it begin anew. The dwarf sighed, and then he leaned against the great worn fingers of his mighty maker. I am tired, father. I know. And this is the final time, my son. This will be the ultimate burst of glory before our children dwindle, and men come into their own at long last. Seven is an auspicious number, do you not agree? He smiled faintly. Aye, that it is. And are you sure? I will not force you. The dwarf sighed again and bowed his head. I will be pleased to rest at last. Still, the great work continues. I am needed. I am ready. Your bravery does you credit, my beloved son. Well, I like them, said the dwarf, shrugging. He is a careful and diffident duero, despite his temper, and he will give her stability and acceptance. She is fiery and determined and will give him much-needed confidence. They will make fine parents. But they will. Mahal laid his hand upon the dwarf's brow in a gentle benediction, and he began to fade. Just hope that teething doesn't hurt quite so damned much this time around, he grumbled as his outline wavered, shifting in the warm air of the forge like smoke. It's not dignified, and the less said about toilet training, the better. Mahal's laugh was soft as distant thunder. You will endure as you always do. I am proud of you, Durin. Thank you, father, said the ghostly figure, barely more than a suggestion hanging in the gloom. Tolkien never created a family tree for the house of Orifer. I've here given him two generations. The Eldar slash the Avari. The Eldar are those elves who in the dawn of time agreed to follow the Velar to Amman. The Avari, unwilling, stayed behind. The Sindar are the descendants of the tribe, the Teleri, who agreed to go on the great journey but did not complete it. 
the Vanyar, the first clan of the elves, also known as the Fair Elves. These elves have never left the light of Amman. The Noldor, the second clan of the elves. They scorned the Sindar somewhat. These elves went to Amman and then returned to Middle-earth. They were great builders and creators, but also the source of much sorrow in the First Age. Sindarin. This language became the lingua franca of Middle-earth. This was following the edict of Eluthingal of the hidden realm of Doriath, never to hear the Noldoran dialect of Quenya spoken in his realm ever again. Kurth. These runes were invented by the Sindam minstrel Dairon of Doriath, and adopted by the dwarves. The straight lines were more suited to carving than the curves of the Tengwar. Melian the Maya was the wife of Eluthingal, a member of the angelic class of beings. She had been of the Maiar who followed Vana and Este, and lived in Lorien, tending the trees that grew in the gardens of Ermo and Valinor. She encountered the king of the Sindar, Eluthingal, in the forest of Nan Elmoth. There she fell in love and ruled by his side in the kingdom of Doriath. She was the mother of Luthien to Nuviel, 